welcome to the Authentic Healthpreneur podcast. My name is Marendi Leverett, healthpreneur, business strategist and intuitive, and I will be your host. In this podcast series, I will be interviewing female healthpreneurs and sharing their amazing, inspiring and motivating stories about how they started their own health business. Listen to how some of these beautiful women have overcome barriers or adversity to create their own unique health business and thrive. These women are not making millions of dollars or dominating the world, but they are certainly making a difference to their clients' lives and living their true purpose of serving and helping others in need. Also in this podcast, I will be sharing hints and tips on how to be a successful healthpreneur whilst remaining authentic when starting and running a health business. This podcast aims to inspire, motivate and educate you on all you need to know about starting, growing and pivoting in a business as a health clinician. This podcast is available to subscribe and download via Anchor, Spotify, iTunes and Google Podcast. So remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Authentic Healthpreneurs. I have an amazing special guest today. Her name is Dr. Shahana Alibi, and she is a family doctor and TEDx speaker from Canada. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited. Like we were saying just before, um, I have interviewed another doctor before, um, but I think, yeah, you're my second one, which is very exciting because most of the people I've been interviewing are what we call allied health practitioners, but I'm also, yeah, so excited to talk to what we call in Australia, general practitioners or medical practitioners. Um, So it's so great to have you on today. And also, I guess, exciting because you are an official TEDx speaker. Um, From what I'm told, it is such a privilege and an honor to be asked to um, present at TEDx presentations or symposiums, whatever you want to call it. Uh, So thank you so much for your time today to come and talk to us. So I guess, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Because you don't actually, well, you're not a traditional family doctor, are you? Well, that, that's right. And I think what's interesting too, is that everyone who's listening, I think you're listening with the purpose and intention that you've had some sort of training or you've had some sort of course in your life, but I think somewhere around the road that you might have decided that maybe that's not the exact fit for you. And even if it's not exactly, maybe you wanted to do something else. And that, that epiphany also came to me in 2019 when I stood on that TEDx stage And finally, I felt the sensation of this is home, like this is where I want to be. I had no idea how to get back home. I had no idea how to get on more stages like that. It's actually a lot easier to apply to a program, to complete a course, and then to exit with a degree. When you start coloring outside the lines like this, it becomes a little bit more nebulous. But I guess the message here is that no matter the investment you've made in your career, if there is something that is piquing your interest, if there is a different direction, know that you're not going to be the first or the last to pivot away from that too. So for me, as my work as a family doctor, I work now a lot with adolescents with mental health. I work one day in the traditional family doctor, cradle to grave kind of setting to keep up my skills. But I have to say that a lot of the material, the patient stories, my learning from working with adolescents is what I use in my speaking. So how can you use your education, your profession to fuel maybe your passion or your interest? 
And we've all seen very successful cases of people who maybe had to walk away from their profession to pursue their interest, and that's okay. But this whole idea that you can't have a hybrid, of course you can too. Mm. So once you feel that notion of your home, whatever it is, maybe it's doing art, maybe it's doing research, maybe it's pursuing music, listen to that because one day you will find your way home again. Oh my gosh. Yes. This I think is so poignant um, right now because I feel like since COVID, a lot of people have realized, oh, yes, I love what I do, but not in the traditional way that it's normally serviced. And I think, again, COVID has, you know, awoken most of us to realize that, hey, we can have a hybrid. I can offer telehealth or I can offer my services in a slightly different, you know, way to what is traditionally, you know, expected. Because I guess we've just kind of been following what, I don't know, we've been like sheep, haven't we, following everyone else. So, that is so great. So I guess then um, I guess comes with that is fear and stress and all of that related to it because people, you know, well, one, am, am I going to be successful in doing this, in pivoting or leaving my mainstream career to pursue something else? Well, well, that's exactly right. And I think it's so interesting because the people who have an opinion, usually they're either polar opposites, right? It's either like, this is amazing. I'm so happy for what you're doing. Or it's, well, how could you be letting down your patients? We have a shortage of family doctors here. Well, how could you not? And I think people who choose a health related profession, you know, rightfully so compassion, selflessness are kind of inbred. It's built into our DNA. I'm hoping if you choose those types Mm. of professions, but those can actually work against you when you are trying to listen to that inner voice and put aspects of yourself not even first, but trying to try to promote those things that actually do bring fulfillment in that sort of way. So my advice for you there is that, you know, you just start somewhere. And I mm. think, the, and when you start, it's not going to be feel comfortable. It's like trying on your first pair of jeans after you've had a baby. <laughs> yes. We all know how that feels. It's not comfortable. Nothing kind of squeezes where it should. The zipper doesn't go up with, you know, I can go on and on. But when mm. I'm cold calls. I will call companies and say, you know, this is Dr. Awabai. I'm a family doc and I'm a speaker. Would your corporation need this? And many of the times it's no, thank you. Hang up. Yeah. And that's not a nice feeling, but at the end of the day too, if you can feel like I've at least tried, you will feel so much better off for it and stop with the to-do list, stop with the planning, start with the executing, just make a call. Yes. Send an email. Yes, I think that's right. So many people get stuck in the planning and wanting yeah. everything to be perfect. And I guess this is something that has been raised in a few other episodes I've had with discussions with other people or other women is, yeah, sometimes you just got to, it can't be perfect. It's going to have frayed edges. Just start, just start doing it. And as you get more confident and start doing more, you can reframe it, refine it, improve it- on it. Well, it's so funny because for the longest time I was, I want to be a speaker. I want to be a speaker. And then somewhere down the road, I said, I am a speaker. (laughs) I I don't know what happened there, but I think the minute I started saying I am versus I want to be, I was, whether I just spoke in front of my kids, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it was my audience of three. It was, it was to me too. And people, I think it's so easy to get caught up in the 
How many follows do you have? How many likes do you have? Do you have the perfect logo? Do you have a website? Like you feel like you can't do anything until you get that. Yeah. And that is a fallacy too. So mm. it kind of goes back to our earlier conversation, but even start telling yourself that you are versus you want to be. Well, it's like an affirmation, isn't it? Yeah. You've got yeah. to think it's happening now or it's already happened. That's so true. But you are so right. Um, cause I do, I'm a, I'm a speaker too. And, um, I've had that little, um, you know, moment where, oh yeah, I don't have enough followers or you apply to be a guest speaker on someone's podcast or at a seminar and they go, oh, sorry, you don't have enough followers. And, oh yeah. And you're just like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do with that? If I've got something engaging to share and a topic of interest, that should be all that matters. Well, and I think there you have to trust that your, your tribe, you don't need everyone to like you. That's no. the, that's the ironic part. You actually don't want everyone to like you. You want your tribe to like you. So yes. it's about finding your tribe. Like who are those a thousand followers that are raving fans? They call it right. Who are yes. those people just going to love you, love you for who you are, love you for what you put out. And it's just a matter of you being authentic, you know, speaking to the name of the podcast to you yeah. and then helping finding those people will find you. Right. So yeah, most definitely. Yeah. 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 So I guess, do we want to now, I guess, delve in a bit deeper into yeah. the whole emotional um, literacy, because I guess this is kind of a new area or it's probably been around for a really long time, but it's just probably had a bit of a name change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I think once again, I think we can go back to COVID. And one of the good things COVID did was at least really solidify our dialogue around mental health. I think a lot of the times we knew mental health was an issue. Did mental health become more of an issue? Did addiction and alcohol and substance use become more of an issue? Absolutely. But did we also learn to say the words? Because it's one thing, mm. to know what, but one thing to actually say the words. I had a call with a a company today that produced a, you know, suicide prevention app. And it's the same thing. Saying the words is the hardest part. So I think COVID allowed us to, to better articulate ourselves too. But I think with that, for me, I always give the analogy, if I was your family doctor and you had, you know, you had a heart attack, it would be my due diligence to say, monitor your blood pressure, check your blood sugars, go out and exercise. That would not come as a surprise to you at all. But why then, if someone is struggling or just even in a preventative sense, wants to be better with their mental health, I don't talk to them at all about emotional literacy. See, yes. emotional literacy is the preventative tool for mental health. It is yes. the precursor. So if we don't get one right, we can't get the other one right. And mm. we, be, we live in a society now where the absence of feeling happy is become equivalent to mental health. And yeah. that is a fallacy. That is not correct, right? Just because I don't feel okay doesn't mean I suddenly have di uh, anxiety, depression, fill in the blanks. People with that legitimately have that. But I think I deal with this all the time in my adolescence. What is just a low mood and what is depression? What yeah. is just feeling anxious? Anxiety is, I just told a, a young mom the other day saying her child was feeling anxious, had to do something new at school. I said, well, that, that's quite normal. That's okay. Yeah. We don't have to pathologize everything. So it's this pendulum that keeps swinging in both directions where we have to recognize, articulate what we feel, accept the emotion, which we never do. We don't yes. want to accept it. 
and then let it go. Yeah. If it's starting to affect your day-to-day -day quality of life, absolutely see some about it. That's not what we're talking about here. It's the day-to-day -day emotional upheaval, but we tend to want a Goldilocks phenomenon of our mental health. Like our porridge has to be exactly the exactly. right temperature. Yeah. And if it's not, then we're not okay. And life doesn't work that way. So with that, it's emotional calibration. It's yes. understanding. It's as if you're a thermostat, too high, too low, but being able to feel it, go back, feel low, go back. And it's, it's yeah. knowing that it's being fluid with it. And the knowing comes from also knowing what do we do when we don't like an emotion? We do what we, our parents have taught us and what society has taught us. We numb our emotion. Yeah. We suppress our emotion or I blame you. It's your fault that I've had the emotion. We're numbers, suppressors, or blamers. So first <laughs> yes. step is being able to get out of that. And that has been in our DNA for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. So it's yeah. the things that emotional literacy is, is as much of undoing as it is doing. Totally, you have totally. To unlearn the patterns, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, well, you know, and because the listeners here will be health clinicians, practitioners working in the health industry and probably dealing with people with you know whether it is an, a diagnosed health um mental health condition or maybe they are these people who are swinging from one mood to another because of the craziness of life yep yep i guess well you know we too have to um take check of ourselves because i remember you know again this is something you don't learn at university no. is you know and this is something I'm trying to think who taught me many years ago but they just said Merendi the problems of your clients you've got to just leave at the clinic door so when you go home you don't think about it you've got to you've got to yeah. set those boundaries because if you go home and worry about that client you're taking on their emotions and you're taking on their problems and yeah. then you know that can lead to your own emotional issues oh, yeah. mental health issues burnout yeah so yeah. Yeah, I guess, is there any advice to, you know, health clinicians? Because like I said, we don't get taught this unless you're a psychologist, of course, or a psychiatrist who learn these sorts of things. We well, as clinicians well, exactly. don't. No, no, no. And I think that's the idea of that kind of superhero, super I, um, person mentality wrapped around this, like nothing affects us. We're just these rubber balls that keep bouncing off yeah. everything. You know, will never slow down too. But going back to that example of being able to leave your client's story, and I can I can attest to this dealing with young young people who have severe mental health issues. Of course, I bring it home with me. Of course, I worry about it. But the question you have to ask yourself is, what is the fear? Like, what if you really ask yourself, what is the fear, or what does that say about me? When you really ask yourself that question five or seven times, what I often come out with is that I'm not a good clinician. I yeah. miss something. It's the yeah. fear of you are not good enough. Someone else would have picked it up. You miss something important. You let someone down. And if you summarize all of that, it's a fear of imperfection. It's a fear of failure. So I always say, if you want to take one piece of advice away, it's use the question, what would that say about me? You know, why does that bother me so much? And identify that in the form of a fear, because guess what? Your fear of failure or imperfection is coming out because that client story is bothering you. And yeah. it's also coming out because you don't want to start the website to start your business because you're scared of failing. So it's mm -hmm. the same fear wearing a different cloak. 
So yeah. you can keep trying to attack each one or you can get to the core of it. And where did that come from for you? And who in your narrative, in your internal narrative, is the one that's kind of saying you can do it, pushing you off the diving board, saying take yeah. that? <laughs> and who's the one holding you back? Because yeah. we all have person or persons that might be the pusher and the puller on the diving board situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Most yeah. definitely. So yeah. I guess, yeah, you know, like you said, you know, that fear. Um mm -hmm. I guess, you know, when we were talking before about pivoting, I think that's quite, again, important because, you know, someone's, I guess I'm trying to think of a really good example, um, but, you know, maybe someone, you know, is working as a health clinician, but now wants to, um, you know, actually I have got an example, a client of mine, she's an exercise physiologist, wants to work with people with eating disorders. And the only experience she's got is that she is someone who has eating disorders, yeah. but you know, in our world, there's this expectation that you are only an expert if you have done further study, or maybe you've done a PhD in it, yeah. then you can, you know, work with those people. But it's like, but hang on, yeah. we've got people who have personal experience. Yeah. Don't you think they are probably more qualified That's to right. work That's with right. those people than say someone who's done a PhD or some kind of research project. The way that she would be able to relate and speak to these clients, I think she represents a wonderful example because she's got training. Mm. She's an exercise physiologist. So she has a, a, a background, but she also has the lived and personal finesse and touch with regards to that. And it was a beautiful example, but you can help the person you once were. Yes. Right. I had, and you know, postpartum OCD and anxiety was part of my awful postpartum journey. I don't like to admit of that, but that no one's going to take that away from me. But now mm. when I see a young mom in my office, I can ask about intrusive thoughts. I can ask about anxiety. I can ask about depression in a way that doesn't sound like a check mark, fill in the box sort of thing because of my lived experience. Yeah. So your lived experience, I think that's a, a great point. Never, ever um, never ever deny that. That is actually one of the most powerful things. And what's ironic is that the patient knows it. The yeah. patient knows it when they have a practitioner who might have a very similar lived experience. And the way that you can engage with them is far more potent and meaningful. Yeah, most definitely. I guess, you know, this all comes down back to, you know, fear and stress, you know, thinking we're not worthy or we're not good enough. I'm thinking, you know, we as a collective need to start changing the narrative to say that, you know, you don't, you know, necessarily need to have extra qualifications to work with your ideal client. Cause this is something I'm also discovering is many of us, like you said, with yourself, you have that experience in postpartum. Um, you know, but there are plenty of people I've been meeting when I've been doing these recordings of women who have various different health conditions and that is why they chose their career because they wanted to help people who have their health condition because they can relate to them. And then they went off and got their qualification. But then I've also had the reverse where someone has the qualification and then develop the health issue during their career. And then that's when they decide to pivot and go, hey, I want to work with people with yes. this health condition because I can relate to them because I've had that personal yes. experience. Yes, yes, yes. Well, of course, I think both are equally, you know, as important too. And I think it just goes back to the idea that the theme message in both of those is the idea that 
you don't want anybody to have to go through what you've gone through, yes. even if it's for a nanosecond, right? Yeah. Even if it's for just a microscopic bit of time that you can say, I can, you know, lead this woman or individual in a different direction. I can help them fulfill this. And I think that comes to our inner need and our inner humanness of connecting through that compassionate lens. And if you think about it, going back to that previous discussion of the Goldilocks analogy of mental mm. health, it's not happiness that we're after. It's compassion that we're after. Yes. Yeah. Like if you fill your bowl of porridge with compassion, you are so much more likely to achieve happiness. Happiness is not the bullseye. It's the byproduct. Yes. It's a byproduct of trying to help someone else. Like we've said in all of these case examples, because you know, I talked to countless patients too, and I just had a youth who was actually an extremely high risk youth. I'll never forget her story. And she saw me a couple of years later, first year university doing child and youth services. And she looked at me and said, I want to help a youth. So no one has to go through what I went through. Yeah. And she doesn't care about how much money she makes right now. And she'll just, she'll do fine. She'll do fine. But it was just as she's driven by such a strong inner purpose. So that's what I try to teach the kids that I work with to follow that, follow that. Yes. Yes. And I am finding that the, the younger generation are realizing a lot earlier what their life purpose is or what is their drive or what is their, you know, love compared yeah. to a lot of us. It, some of us, it took half a lifetime. Yeah. Some people yeah. are only discovering it now because, you know, different parenting over the years too, I feel like, you know, the older generations, you know, if you you know, if you came from a blue collared family, that is all you ever did. There was no support or aspirations or, you know, drive to try and change your path. Yep. If your father was a builder or your father worked in a factory, that was where you went. You and then did. there was also that other thing, you know, and I've been speaking to a few women about this in particular Asian um, families the expectations, they want their kids to be solicitors and doctors and that sort of thing. And again, they're turning on their head after having a career in whatever it is or starting their degree. And then all of a sudden had this realization and went no and went against their family. And that's a major thing for them in their culture yeah. to yeah. pave the way for their creative. You know, there was a lady I was talking to the other day. I think she was at uni to start study biology science and she totally flipped after two years and is now a, a, a pet photographer <laughs> there you know what they're more exactly and that and culturally too mm. you know the science it's all this hierarchy that I don't even know who created that science is greater than arts and I, I don't know where exactly. we get that it's just an artificial sense of once again establishing hierarchy in our society and mm. I dealt with the same thing I think in even I'm older my generation was very much prescribed your future was prescribed yes. to you, you know yeah. it is a lawyer doctor engineer dentist accountant yeah. Done. Like, you know, and when I went into kinesiology, I was supposed to go into pharmacy. The application was basically done for me. My sister's a pharmacist. My dad's a pharmacist. That is what I was supposed to do. It was a good job for a woman. You could own your own business. What's your problem? And I yeah. didn't handle the application because I chose 
exercise is medicine. And that was a really hard thing culturally and for my parents. But you also have to understand their background too. They came here with the exodus, thrown out of their country, came as yeah. refugees. So I think with over generations, there is a sense of privilege in perhaps in being able to take a step back and say, well, what actually do I want? I think that mm. is a, you're, you're if you even can think like that, I think you are in a position of somewhat privilege because that you can think of what makes me happy. What's my passion? Yeah. Of course, we all have to pay the bills. But even if you can keep that little candlestick alive of what really fuels you, that will continue to burn throughout your life. And maybe at certain times you have to work harder on things that you don't want to do. But maybe at other times you can reclaim that mm-hmm. and ignite it for yourself, right? Yeah, most definitely. So I guess with the people who are listening, do you have any tips, advice, hints for them, you know, if they are considering pivoting in their career, their business, or have this, you know, far-fetched idea, which is never far-fetched to how to, you know, um, yeah, sidestep their business or pivot. Do you have any, yeah, advice or tips for them? Yeah, no, I love that too. So you know what I would say is that I would say sh- share it with those who are close and who you know are going to support you. Yeah. I think sometimes we do this. We test the waters with people who we know that even if it's our parents, for example, who you know that might not be supportive and we just kind yeah. of are doing it just to see like if they say no, maybe I really shouldn't do it. Like we're using mm-hmm. it as an excuse to hold us back. Yeah. Don't do that to yourself because if you're already on the fence, it's going to tip you to the other side too. Exactly. Share it with not a lot of people, but with those who you really know are going to have your back because there are going to be plenty. Like I said, if people are hanging up or saying no to a physician and a TEDx speaker and like that's, that's normal. And you just have to expect the no's expect yeah. them because you don't know when the next time that you make a call, it's going to be a yes. Exactly. So be, it just takes one. It takes one. So um, I'll never forget too, like, you know, they've had, we've had all of these incredibly famous authors and a lot of them, we've heard story after story of people who sent their book to 800 publishers or the person who actually gave their first talk. And there was only, you know, 30 people in the room and 24 were his family members. Like, you know, like all of these things, Rob, that was actually Robin Sharma's story too, but these are the types of things. And then you go on and what we really accolade those people when they're New York Times bestsellers, but we never look back and say, oh, just to take a step and look back. All of those people started from somewhere. And I'm not Mm. saying New York Times is where you need to go. That's once again, created by us, but you go where you want to go, but you got to start somewhere. That's right. And I guess that's the thing, you know, you've got to accept the rejection, you know, Mm -hmm. There's always going to be, you know, I'm trying to think what the saying is. I think you'll get nine rejections before you get a yes. But, you know, again, I use this analogy. I don't know where I got it from, but it's, um, you know, if you fail, never give up because fail means first attempt in learning. So Mm -hmm. with every, you know, and again, you can't see a rejection as a failure. That's not on you. That's on that person or that business or company that obviously not interested. They're not your raving fan and they're not part of your tribe. And I think that's been a hard thing I know for me personally, and I know for lots of other women is trying to find their tribe because I guess now with the world of technology and social media, it is probably harder to find your tribe because you are looking for a needle in a haystack. Whereas years ago, you know, probably still as hard, but not to the same depths of, you know, billions of people versus just your own community trying to find your own tribe. 
Oh, completely. But I think one thing, like, you know, even the way that we're connecting here, we're connecting halfway across the world. I've had the pleasure of, you know, doing talks virtually, obviously, in Nepal, speaking to people in London and Australia, yeah. uh, in Southeast Asia. And not that I can ever travel there because I've got three young kids, <laughs> but I get to actually meet really cool people. So if anything, think of your journey as meeting really cool people. Yeah. Like that's actually the, that, that's one thing that I feel so blessed that we have social media in this day and age because I was the biggest um, anti-social media person. Like I just yeah. thought putting myself out there and now that you, so you've all of this, all the other stuff falls away when you have, it's just you and this other person because exactly. that's what matters, right? Exactly. And you actually realize you have more in common with someone halfway across the world than you ever think that you would, which is the cool part. Yeah, right? I, I, I agree. And again, you know, talking about, COVID, I think it has also made people realize that your tribe isn't just in your own local community or in your own country or, you know, state, as we call it here. People are realizing now that it's worldwide, you know, worldwide. you can connect with people wherever, whenever, and there is no boundaries. There are no borders anymore because of technology. You can be connecting with people all over the world. And I have to say, since doing this podcast, I have met some amazing inspirational women yes. and have made lifelong connections that you would never have done if, yeah, if we didn't have this technology. So yeah, I yeah, oh, wholeheartedly true. agree. So is there anything else you wanted to share with our audience in regards to pivoting or emotional um, intelligence? It was not, wasn't emotional intelligence. <laughs> You're, you're right. Yeah, actually, emotional yeah. literacy, emotional intelligence. Literacy, That's yeah. the name kind of, yeah. Um, no, I check out my TED talk. It's actually something that has now come to fruition of us yep. trying to bridge the gap of emotional literacy in schools, bridging schools and uh, the medical sector. So that's really cool as well. Yeah. Um, my website has lots of information on self-awareness as does Instagram and LinkedIn too, but come say hi, send me a DM and um always, always happy to connect with new people and being able to share our collective story. So awesome. So do you just want to share where people can find you like your, your hashtags yeah. or your tags? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So LinkedIn, it's just under my name, Dr. Shahana Alibi, and then Instagram at the Dr. Shahana Alibi and TEDx. If you just Google Dr. Yeah. Shahana Alibi TEDx, I'll come right up. So yeah. oh, that is amazing. Well, yes. thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with my audience. I do believe that they will get something out of this. I certainly did. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. You have been listening to the Authentic Healthpreneur podcast. To ensure you don't miss an episode, remember to subscribe. If you are enjoying this series, please leave us a review. If after listening to this podcast episode, you feel inspired to start or transform your own health business, come join our free Facebook group, Authentic Healthpreneurs. Search Authentic Healthpreneurs in the Facebook groups. In this group, you will find free resources, webinars and other events to help propel your business forward and succeed. It is a beautiful community of like-minded female health practitioners who support and uplift one another and celebrate our successes together. If you need help with starting or growing your health business, be sure to check out my website, authentichealthpreneurs.com.
Here you will find more information on the one-on-one coaching services and online training programs that I offer. I would love to support and guide you to live your life purpose and see you succeed in business. If you are not sure what help you need, then be sure to book in for a free business strategy session with myself. You will find the link in the website.